Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is supported by the New York Studio School. The school welcomes artists to join virtual intercession marathons this November 11th through November 15th. Rigorous and immersive, these five-day marathons meet from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time over the course of a weekend and present an extensive range of art-making strategies, comprehensive critiques, and inspirational discussions. Propelling artists to relate to drawing, painting, and sculpture as direct methodologies for understanding one's experience in the world, their profound impact continues far beyond each marathon's conclusion. The virtual format enables artists to join from any location. Visit nyss.org to apply today. Sound and Vision is also sponsored by Golden Artist Colors. For my current show up in Tokyo at Maho Kubota Gallery, all those paintings were made with golden acrylic mediums and golden artist acrylic colors. It wouldn't have been possible without it. They make, in my opinion, the best paints out there. Not only do they make acrylic paints, they make core watercolors and Williamsburg oil paints. You can check them out at your local art store or online at goldenpaints.com. You know who else keeps it moving in the studio? Fulcrum Coffee Roasters. Fulcrum makes amazing coffee, and you can head over to their website at fulcrumcoffee.com and check out their subscriptions. They have an amazing variety that you could choose from and have coffee delivered to your house every month. Everything from light growth subscription to espresso to all brands, single origin. They even have a sunset subscription, a jazz alley night subscription. It's a really cool curated coffee experience that can be delivered to your door. And you can get a discount by adding the code Alfred Studio whenever you check out from the website. Fulcrum Coffee Roasters from Seattle. Check them out. Rachel Boussier is an artist born in Quebec City, Canada, who lives and works in Brooklyn. She received her MFA from the San Francisco Art Institute in 2015. She's had recent solo exhibitions at Melanie Flood Projects in Portland, Penumbra Foundation in New York City, Johansson Projects in Oakland, and Robert Koch Gallery in San Francisco. Her awards include the Penumbra Foundation Workspace Fellowship, the Canada Council for the Arts, an honorable mention for the Snyder Prize from the Museum of Contemporary Photography in Chicago, and she was a finalist for the Aperture Foundation Portfolio Prize. Some recent group shows include the World Trade Center, Rubber Factory in New York City, Seattle Pacific University in Washington, TSA in Brooklyn, Soil Gallery in Seattle, the General French Consulate in San Francisco, the Wing in San Francisco, and the Center for Fine Art Photography in Fort Collins, just to name a few. She's done several residencies, including the Silver Art Projects residency and the Vermont Studio Center residency and Headland Center of the Arts. Her work is present in various public, corporate, and private collections, including the Museum of Contemporary Photography in Chicago, the Four Seasons Hotel, SF MoMA Library and Archives, a Facebook commission mural in Sunnyvale, Instagram in San Francisco, and Penumbra Foundation in New York City. 
I spoke to Rochelle from her studio in Brooklyn about ephemera, light, going where the road takes you, anthropology, house music, and much more. Here's our conversation. Research. No research necessary for this. Um, okay. Yeah, so was, this is a brand new studio? This is a brand new space, yeah. Um, I've been here since October, so it's a, it's a live-work spot, and I'm right in... Oh, that's cool. Yeah, Williamsburg and Bushwick and Bed, Bed, um, uh, Bed-Stuy. So I was in a residency last year, so I didn't have a studio for a minute, and now I'm doing a live-work, and I actually love it. I imagine that year residency thing is refreshing, where you can be like, okay, I have a dedicated space. It's not mine. I just go in there. I can just do my thing, and then it's like a refresh, right? It or is a, it unsettling? It was unsettling, but it was a refresh. I think for me, it was something to do, you know, especially during pandemic. It's like everyone was oh, confined yeah. to their There's home, that. and I was like, well, I have something to do. I'm going to the World Trade Center. Um, and when I moved to New York, I didn't really have a community here because I didn't go to school. So, uh, that allowed me to meet some new people and, uh, and yeah, to make what some What year work. was that? Uh, two, um, August, 2019. 19. Okay. So yeah. you're pretty new to the whole New York thing. Newish. Yeah. Kind of. Well, yeah. 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 And then you, so you did the, they're redoing, not redoing. They have those residencies in the World Trade Center again. Yes, the new cohort. Hey, can you tell me a little bit? I don't, to be honest, embarrassingly, I don't know that much about it. Can you talk it, about that? It's okay. I didn't know about your podcast. And so you were... You were <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, um, well, what can I tell you? It's a brand new residency. Um, it's, you know, the, the co-founders, their mission is to bring life and cultural art um, within, you know, in that neighborhood. And uh, I don't know, well, you know, it was the first year, so I think they're kind of figuring out as they go. Um, yeah. We were provided, we had like, there was a jury, you know, process, and then once we were selected, we were about, I think like 22 artists that were selected. Um, and... Mainly, it was having a huge studio. We did a little bit have some studio visits, but it was really just mainly a free space and, you know, a new community. And, you know, obviously that studio was mind-blowing. So that was, uh, just for that reason, it was great. Yeah, yeah. space. Yes, exactly. That's nice. How many square foot did you have? Ah, like 600 square foot. But, you know, the the whole space just felt like, just humongous because everyone yeah. had a whole wall of these huge bay windows. Um, oh, and nice. the other thing too was that it is so silent in there. You cannot hear anything. It is just oh, Is it because you're high or is it soundproofed? I, th- I think they're soundproof. Um, it feels almost like you're in the water, you know? It's like you really hear yeah. nothing. Um, I've never been in a space that was that quiet to the point where... Because... Not everyone was working there. Like it was kind of quiet most of the time. There was just a few of us, yeah. and we co- we couldn't see or hear other people because it was so big. So uh, it felt extremely, just kind of like in a church or something. That's weird. And 
in was, downtown Manhattan. It was <laughs> of it all was, places to have silence. It was airy. It was definitely weird, and it was pandemic, so there was nobody downtown. So you would go into this empty downtown area, into an empty building, and then kind of like working alone. So it was just weird. It was it was amazing, but strange. Surreal. Surreal, absolutely. It sounds like maybe art in the afterlife or something. It's like this super quiet, yes. peaceful. Yeah, it's, there's not a lot of people around. You just go do your thing. It, it was like that. Yeah, it was very strange. Yeah. yeah. Did so. now? Did your work like? Did it have a massive effect on your work, or were you just able to work quietly and and maintain what you were doing in a way of of almost like enhanced focus or something? Um, to be honest. It was kind of tricky at first because you know I make uh, I make jets and silver paper prints. They're lumen prints, but basically yeah. it's like a darkroom process that involves chemistry, and I have to wash my prints for 20 minutes in running water. So just basically, the technical aspect of making this work was kind of tricky in an office building. Um, the washing area was really really small. Um, I had to build a darkroom, you know, in this like office space that had like not a lot of materials or equipment or any any technicality support so that was just kind of like uh, tricky at first to make it happen um, yeah. and then we have to go through security so anytime you have to bring materials you have to go through security through a scanning mm. process and um, basically sometimes I was exposing outside too I kind of need like direct sunlight and it's 28 floors yeah. through the elevator, through security. Then you're in front of ground zero. And here I am trying to print my ethereal, minimal <laughs> compositions, you know, in front of ground zero uh, with tourists everywhere and police everywhere. So it was kind of like the, the conditions, um, the exterior, like the external conditions uh, were a little hard. But then once you were in the space and once I was you know, what able to work in the, it, like I had built the dark room and I figured out how to wash my prints, then it, uh, then it made a significant, like the, the work that I made there was finally, I think, I, I, like I did some discovery that were really interested. I started to making uh, more uh, three-dimensional stuff, which is because, you know, the sun basically was moving throughout the windows throughout the year, like differently because of the position. And so it was, just shining on the walls and creating all these shadows. Uh, and I think a lot of us have been impacted by how, how we got influenced by the sun and how the shadows were like moving like all year round, like yeah. differently. Um, so that made me start really working um, through dimensionally, stacking paper and kind of like having shadows play uh, within the, the surface of the photo paper. Um, and then the other thing, too, it was just like just being there, being at the World Trade Center. Uh, you know, we got reached a lot. Like I did a big commission, for example. Um, and then I applied for a big Canadian grant uh, for that residency and I got it. And, you know, I've, I'm Canadian, but I, I don't really have a career in Canada because I've been here for a while. Yeah. Um, so that was really impactful for me. So I would say like. After I figured out the logistics um, of trying to make it work in that space, uh, I think my work really moved into uh, interesting new directions. And then also professionally, I got great opportunities. Yeah. I mean, that's an advantage, you know, yeah. of that kind of like communal atmosphere is that you can sort of, you know, 
build that community in a way, which is nice. I feel like that's, um, you know, in the sense of school, schools like that too, where, you know, it sometimes is not even necessarily the classes per se or the specifics, but it's just yeah. the environment and the dialogues that happen, you know, at like midnight or, you know, some different Absolutely. part of the day, which is like uh, really beneficial. So, well, I sort of, came into knowledge of your work fairly recently and i have to say it Mm -hmm. is like stunningly beautiful like it's just so it has this to me just like peaceful quiet and beauty that is really like that that story of the light you know moving through the studio is such a great analogy for sort of like slowing down or quieting or understanding you know looking at a different pace in a different sort of way you know what i mean and it almost reminds me a little of like when you were talking about that like plato's cave of this idea of you know life Mm. being this projection and it's it's funny because the work that you're making is is literally light's effect you know it's like light is if i'm not mistaken light is creating the work in a way is that right oh absolutely oh yeah, yeah yeah exactly that's exactly right um, I started making lumen printing a little bit by mistake. Um, I didn't really know what I was doing when I started making them. Um, That's the best way. So I was already doing, <laughs> yeah, I was already doing like weird photo stuff. You know, I went to SFAI, which is a very photography-based school, um, and I, I yeah. my teachers were all like photographers that were doing abstract photography and experimental stuff in the darkroom. So I have like a whole body of work that is quite different to what I do now, but it was definitely like the departure and trying to understand the materials. Um, And so what happened is that my camera broke while I was in a residency at the band center, uh, while I was working on a project using my other experimentations. And that was the last time I used my camera. I never fixed it. And then I was like, what if I, like I had started to realize that there's some colors that happen, you know, um, in the materials in the gelatin silver paper. And so I was like, what if, you know, what if I just fix this? Um, so then I've, I was like, oh, I can retain it. At, at first, what I was doing was like kind of this like more like soft geometrical. Um, it's still soft and geometrical, but um, it was, you know, a little bit more basic when I started experimenting with lumen printing. And for about, I'd say, six months, uh, I didn't even know they were called lumen prints and nobody really knew. I was like, oh, I that's this is jazz and silver paper it's just you expose it to light and then you put it in the fixer um so i think that lack of acknowledgement uh, in that process allowed me to discover that basically uh, if you expose jet and silver paper to light to different sort of lights let's say uv light led uh, incandescent so all these different types of spectrum you get different colors um right. so so that's the one, one part, the one factor that influences the color. And the other, um, the other factor is time. So it depends for how long you expose it to that sort of light. So then it's just really been since then, this was like um, at the end of 2017 that I've really started to like only focus on that and kind of like using it almost like as a scientific experimentation, like experiment, uh, not having any questions really, but just like, doing stuff and then being like, okay, these are the answers. Where were the questions again? And then going back to it and then going from there. So this like back and forth between discovering what the paper is doing and then going back and then kind of like back and forth and in that process. 
Um, so yeah, you're right. The light is the light is the is the light is the color brush, and time is the right. other one. Yeah, and I, I suppose like working that way, you really have to be um, not only okay with, but also intrigued by the element of chance and you know a lack of total control. Or have you gotten it to the point to where you really can control it as much as you want? I think for me, the exciting part is the mystery. So what keeps me going basically is I, when I make a piece, I want to see it as you would be the viewer seeing my work for the first time. I want to be as impressed by it and blown away. Uh, and I know I made a good piece. When I make a good, when I make a piece and I'm like, oh my God, this, I made this? <laughs> this <laughs> like, this is what happened when I do this and this. Um, so the, the surprise, the surprise and the mystery is what keeps me going. It's almost like, you know, what's on the other side? What's on the other side? Um, but now that I've been making this specific, like I've solely focused on lumen printing and really trying to like understand and get deeper and, you know, more complex, um, I feel now like I'll make a piece. And for example, when I, when I, when I show a piece, it means I've made that piece at least 10 times. Um, I've, okay. I've, I've made it once by accident and I was like, oh, but this is actually a little weird there. And then I'll make it again and then I'll make it again. And then the chemistry sometimes like is not well mixed or something is a little bit wrong or, you know, I'm not really sure about that side of the composition. So I really work by repetitions a lot, which is why sometimes I feel my work uh, works really well by diptych because you'll see two pieces and they look a little bit similar, but there's a little bit of like difference. Um, so, um, yeah, I feel I, I let go of control. I want to be surprised and then I go back and then control, you know, the piece really, really well. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. No. I, I, and I think I might be wrong, but I feel like it's a certain person can work that way and feel comfortable and engaged by that. And then some people, you know, they need to be control freaks. Like that's, everything has to be just so like the paints have to be mixed a certain way or the material has to be a certain material. What do you think about your childhood growing up or your personality or the way you are lends itself to being um, kind of, you know, having this relationship with that kind of exploration that feels comfortable? Oh, I love this question. Uh, it has everything to do with it. Well, I think, you know, my family, for example, were a family of academics and travelers. Uh, my mother was uh, really young when she had me and we started traveling and camping, you know, when I was a very small uh, kid. And she didn't really have any plans in Canada, in Quebec, yeah. Um, the way she would travel was kind of like, okay, we're going to go there and we're going to figure it out. So, um, and before becoming an artist, I studied anthropology. And so um, I, you know, I kind of have like a whole life behind me before being um, so focused and um, obsessed with light. I, um, I lived in Holland for a long time. Um, I went to India for six months. I lived in Mexico for a year. I kind of like was like traveling a lot. It actually starts with my grandfather. My grandfather was a kind of like a fa low-key famous geographer. Uh, a little bit like, I mean, not as cool as Noam Chomsky, but like kind of like that kind of guy. Uh, yeah, so they were very into art. Uh, they had like, 
I don't know, like 20,000 books in their home and uh, traveling a lot. He spoke Arabic uh, and he invented some of the regional names for Quebec. Uh, so he was, you know, he, he was quite, uh, quite the person. And so my mom was his daughter, right? And so um, my mom had me really young. It was just her and I. Um, she was 21 when she had me. And uh, she just kind of like carried that traveling gene. And so when I was six, we went to this island that was in the middle of nowhere. And we stayed there two months. And it was just her and I camping. And I think... It really, like, I was so young, you know, so it really had an impact on how you travel somewhere. You just kind of, like, go to a place. You don't have that much information, and you just kind of go. Um, and after that, we kept traveling. Like, every summer, we went to a different place. Basically, I was just camping a lot. I did a lot of camping with my mom, um, and she definitely influenced me a lot in the way... Um, that I travel and that I see the world, which is kind of like using spontaneity as the main tool in intuition. So she would pick a destination and we would kind of like go there, you know? Um, so that was, that was my upbringing. It was just me and my mom and then kind of like traveling and camping quite a bit. Um, and that led me to... So in Quebec, we have... It's a little bit of a different um, educational system. So we have um, high school, and so after that we go to CEGEP, which is like a two-year program, and then you go to college. It's like a pre-college, um, and you just you can pick a very broad subject. So I, you know, picked art, um, and then after these two years, I decided to take a break, and then I went to uh, Latin America, and then ended up in Mexico, where I lived for uh, almost a year. And this is when I was uh, 20. I don't know. I don't, I don't think I really uh, chose it. It kind of like happened to me, which is a little bit, a little bit like how I live my life maybe. It's like I kind of was like, oh, I think I'm just going to go. I think my mom had went yeah, she had gone to Mexico when she was about 19 or 20. And I was like, well, that sounds like a great idea. I'm going to do that too. So I kind of followed the footstep. And then I fell in love with Latin America. I've actually learned, I learned Spanish uh, before English. So my second language is actually Spanish. Um, and um, yeah, so then I just, you know, I was living in Chiapas, which is uh, the south um, of Mexico in a small town that's called San Cristobal de las Casas. It's a colonial town. It's this like, it's this perfect, cute little artsy, kind of like international town. There's a lot of French Canadians there, a lot of Americans and Europeans. So it feels very international. Um, and I was there for, you know, like nine months. Um, yeah, so then after that, I came back to Quebec City and then I kind of like then followed more my grandfather's footstep and I decided to study anthropology. Um, and during that um, time, I, um, I discovered visual anthropology. And so it's kind of like through visual anthropology that I started doing photography. And then during that time, you know, anthropology is, is a very, I mean, I, I really loved it. I'm really happy actually, this is my background. 
um, because it just it just you just kind of wear a pair of glasses all the time. You know, it's like a, a way of seeing the world and and questioning it. And um, and then this is when I you know decided to go to India. I got like a grand project, and I was uh, at the time I was really into uh, native communities. So I was studying. Um, Quebec, like French, well, it's not French Canadian, but like native communities in Quebec. And that made me want to study Native Americans in India. So I went to India and then I um, ended up in the north of India in the Tibetan diaspora. So my work at the time was like kind of like very documentary, a little bit political, uh, I'd say really has this photojournalist, journalistic style. Um, at the, at the time, yeah. So I did that for quite a bit of time. Um, just like, I, thought, I honestly thought I would be kind of like a journalist or a photojournalist and I would travel the world and I would, you know, just take photos. And um, it was perfect because it was marrying one of my passion, which was traveling and then photography. Um, so I did that for, I don't know, maybe like four or five years. Yeah. And it sounds like you had a, a real interest in culture, too, of course, which, you know, yes, would bleed into that kind of work because you're just sort of visually. And when you say, you know, that was your work, I mean, was this basically just research at this point or were you actually making work that you felt like, OK, this is I'm making art, I'm making images that are artwork? Um, or did you I not think know. about I it? I didn't really think about it that much, but um, there was something happened in India, though. I met a group of European photographers that were making these beautiful, I'd say like it was a mix of very um, ethereal landscapes, like from the Himalayas, um, and then a little bit of like this like photo photojournalist taste, but they would print these images, so they were taking photos with their like Roly, so this like really old camera, yeah, uh, and and they would print it on this really nice uh, like uh, rice paper from Nepal, nice. uh, and they were selling these uh, on the streets and actually making a lot of money. And one of the guy, one of the photographer, he had a gallery in Paris, and so that was kind of like the first time that I was like, oh, this is this is fine art photography. This is not only like, you know, like functional National Geographic stuff. Like this guy is like selling his work and he was like, yeah. And then I followed this group of photographers through the Himalayas for a few weeks. And we we're kind of like this group of people taking photos and trying to be poetic and bringing this like marriage between beautiful visual, you know, images and kind of like political stuff. Um, and when I returned to Quebec after that trip, I had my first exhibition with uh, my images I took from the Himalayas that were also printed on that paper that he printed for me. So that was my right. first photo exhibition that was kind of like fine art. Um, and then I really uh, was like, okay, this is, this is what I want to do. I want to try to be a fine art photographer um, and I want to try to be an artist. Right. So the, the work that they were doing that you're talking about was a real source of inspiration which was, uh, I'm picturing sort of like their landscape images, but there's a, a level of abstraction to them because of the sort of uh, environmental ethereality of whatever they're zooming in on or whatever. But, or was it 
less abstract or was it more representational or what did you glean from that work formally that you wanted to explore? I think it was, uh, what I was after at the time was uh, the sublime. So it was like that feeling that you have in the landscape, you know, where it's like um, you're as, you're in awe in front of it and yet you're really small and you're kind of scared. So that sublime feeling is what you could really see in their images. It was like usually like one person, maybe in the back, maybe blurry, maybe like a kind of portrait. And yeah, you're saying it. It's like a little bit abstracted, but also very ethereal. And the textures of the paper made it like beautiful. Like his work, this guy is, his name is Sebran D'Argent. He's, 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 he's really good. It's really beautiful. A little bit of kind of like Todd Heido, if you know uh, that photographer, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you know. Definitely. So I, did, I didn't know Todd Heido at the time, but when I discovered him, I was like, oh, this is what I was, this is what I'm after. Um, and when I moved to Northern California, I was going to say, what isn't he based in San Francisco, or is it related to San Francisco in some way? Yeah, 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 he is exactly, definitely. Uh, and when I moved to Northern California and I discovered his work, I was like, oh, this is this is what I like. This is what I'm doing. I want to, I want to, like, you know, express this like sublime feelings and have. So I was kind of like always trying to portray. Um, a human in the images or sometimes if the human wasn't there it would be like this like abstract window or these foggy landscapes you know um very ins inspired by him and that's the, at the time when i was in northern california i'm kind of jumping ahead right now in the timeline but um you know that's that makes sense um i was i was like oh i really like that effect of the paper so i'm gonna make my paper so i was living in a really rural uh, area in Northern California, in between on the Sonoma Coast, in between Jenner and Gualala, just by uh, Sea Ranch, if mm -hmm. if someone uh, if some people know where that is. Um, and so I was making paper out of eucalyptus and redwood barks, and then I would print these images onto the paper. Um, and I I got into uh, the program at San Francisco Art Institute with that body of work. Right. So that's was that a laborious like, process making your own paper? like that it was it was and it was um i think really what i liked about it was working with my hands yeah. and um being in you know making the pulp and and just having my hand and hands in water and having this whole like very labor laborious uh process um and yeah that's kind of like what i really liked about it so um when that's i started what you in school with right that's that's what I got into school with, and it's you know I look at it now I'm like it's not bad it's not interesting <laughs> to me anymore <laughs> it's not what I'm after but I, I can see the value I'm like yeah this is pretty good it's fine you know it's a little bit like fashion fashion like in a way it's like I would dress up and like do some like kind of like self portrait of myself in front of rundown houses you know by the sea and. Uh, some foggy clouds and foggy mountains, and then um, the uh, it would also be even more abstracted with you know the the paper it was printed on. Uh, yeah. But when I first uh, started my my uh, MFA, so I was like, oh, I'm gonna make paper. I'm gonna continue this body of work. Um, so San Francisco Art Institute is super conceptual, and so um, they paired me with a painter. They didn't pair me with a photographer, and I didn't have. I don't have a BFA in photography. And so um, they were like, you should work with Leslie Shows. She's an amazing artist. I, to this day, she's 
still one of my favorite. Um, she's doing this, she, she does these, she makes these really abstract, beautiful paintings that are really uh, geological in a way. Mm -hmm. And she's using aluminum and does like, kind of like this like sculptural work as well. She's all about volcanoes and materials and rocks. And um, she was extremely influential for my first body of work, for example. And then they were like, okay, you're going to work with Leslie Shows, and then you should totally try the darkroom too. I think you'd like it because like, I was like, I just want to work with my hands. I just want to have my hands in like matter. And so I started working in the darkroom, but I had never printed, you know, I never taken a darkroom class uh, because I don't have a BFA. And so I immediately just started right away messing a one with the materials. And my, uh, my mentor at the time also didn't know anything about darkroom. So we were both just <laughs> like, yeah, let's try this out. In the dark? <laughs> so it was in the dark. Let's just walk in the dark and see if we can <laughs> find the light. Um, <laughs> so that was, the, that was the beginning of, you know, working in the darkroom, kind of. When you say that you were paired with student like what what was there were you like literally were you showing with someone else eventually or were you like how were people paired and why i don't know how they i think it was just based on the portfolio and what these um we as students wanted to do and the school decided that she would be my mentor like i didn't really look. oh it's mentorship well, it's like, um, how do you call it? You have seminar, like group seminar, you know, yeah. and, and uh, when it's like a bunch of students. And then you have uh, kind of like more like one-on-one, -on -one, like guided study when you have a mentor and you meet them three times a week, uh, uh, three times a, a semester. And, oh, uh, so that's this wasn't was... a fellow student. This was a professor. She was a professor. Yeah, yeah. She was. Oh, okay. Sorry. For some yeah. reason, I thought it was another student. I was like, why would they pair you with another? <laughs> oh, yeah. Got it. No, this okay. was my first semester. So my first semester uh, at SFAI, they were like, they were like, yeah, you should try to work in the darkroom because I was like, oh, I love, you know, I love the, I love to work with my hands. And then my first teacher, my first mentor, uh, tutor, I don't know how you call it. I think mentor is the, was the term. She was, yeah, she sure. was teaching there and she, um, she didn't know anything about photography, you know? So we were both like, yeah, I don't really know. <laughs> okay, so was your school experience good? Like, did your work really... Is that where your work changed most, would you say? Um, I mean, it really... I really loved the school. I loved their approach. I think it really fits with my way of working, which is let's let's make some art and then answer the questions what are we doing why is this important you know i feel like the the intuition was the number one uh value that was um that was uh you know we were we, you just like you have to be really sensitive to be an artist and i think that's what they were trying to do and it's very interdisciplinary yeah. which is why i work with a painter and then after that i work with a sculptor and I, I've worked with a photographer, too. I've worked with John Chiara and Megan Riepenhoff, you know, that were also, um, like, I would say, like, material-based photographers. But um, they're all about trying to make um, work that is at the intersection of other disciplines. And I really like that. Uh, so my work, my work changed a lot yeah. at the time, and I really dove into my first body of work at the time. Um, so I did that for four years. And... I kind of thought I would do that forever. I was like, okay, this is my practice. And, you know, I got, um, 
after my MFA, I, uh, I had the grad fellowship at the Headland Center for the Arts, which is an amazing residency program. Um, and so, I don't know, I just, and then I also started working with a gallery at the time that was in San Francisco. Um, so yeah, and then, so obviously the school was really good for me. I really, they, you know, they just, it's not very, um, I don't know if it's for people who uh, need a little more uh, guidance because they're not really there to tell you what to do, but they have amazing facilities and they're kind of like, okay, here you go, do your thing, figure it out, you know? Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, it seems like it lined up well for, for your arc, you know? Yeah, it was, uh, it was a perfect uh, match for me, for sure. And then, and then the other time in my, my practice where my work really changed was uh, when my camera broke as well. That was like 2017. And then I totally left um, that body of work and that way of working like entirely. Yeah. So what, I mean, what was that change? Well, it was, you know, I think I was telling you a little bit earlier. It was, um, I think at the time um, I was starting to be less uh, surprised and mystified with the outcome of my work. Uh, as I mentioned, you know, at the beginning, it's like, I want to, I want to find my work as mysterious as it would be for mm -hmm. anyone else. <laughs> Um, and I was starting to get a little bit bored. It seemed like there was a lot of stuff learned, transitioning in the work, and a lot of things realized, and then school ended. So what happened? Like, you know, what was the next step? What was your plan? Did your work, did it, did it come closer to where it was now? You know what I mean? Like, how did school sort of change everything? I mean, school changed everything. Also, like... It's so expensive to go to school in America. You're not um, it is not the same as, you know, obviously everybody knows this, but um, yeah, I felt so privileged to go to an American school. I just, I just, uh, it is such a big gap. Like for me, all my friends, you know, in Quebec, everyone just go to university. You have one, two bachelor degree, you go a master, you do a PhD maybe. Everyone is just going to school all the time. Um, so I just was so kind of stressed with uh, the idea of spending so much money yeah. on, a, on a master degree that I really just worked super hard. Um, and I was like, you know, this is so expensive. So I've Get your money's worth. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it work. So I worked like I, like I was very obsessed with trying to be making good work, uh, build a community, um, you know, if I would be, if, if like a visiting artist was coming, I would try to get a studio visit with them. For example, like Erin Sheriff came to my studio, who's one of the, one of my main inspiration for my work, for example. Nice. Um, yeah, I really tried to uh, get, you know, as much out of it um, that I could. And so at the end, I, I think I, I don't know if we... Um, you heard this, but I got uh, I got represented by a gallery before yeah. I graduated. Um, I I did get that. So that was <laughs> that <laughs> so, came through. <laughs> so that was that was amazing uh, and a little strange too because you know in school you don't really learn the like the professional side of being an artist. You just isn't that funny how they don't 
teach you that they don't very teach, much? They don't teach you that at all. And so I was like, okay, great. I'll just uh, sign this contract. And then I got the fellowship at the Headlands. And then I, um, I got a piece too um, that was collected by the, uh, I got in the collection of the Museum of Contemporary Photography in Chicago. So nice. it kind of like really just like immediately was like, it looked like it, looked like I, it was taking off like really like quickly. Um, and my personal life was a little bit difficult at the time. I was going through a divorce, which is kind of like uh, how I got to the States initially. I, I met someone and, you know, when I lived on Sonoma Coast, I was with that person. And so with uh, which actually really influenced me and in, in going to that school specifically. Uh, and becoming an artist more because he was a musician and all his friends were artists and it definitely had a huge impact, you know. Um, but anyway, it was kind of like a rough wow, time. Your, your story keeps, there's like these different <laughs> sort of footnotes here that are huge things seemingly. I feel like I'm getting a just a <laughs> sliver of the big story here. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. So that that relationship, you know, had a huge impact on my on my life and um, yeah. and my and my practice. And you know, we lived in the woods, and so um, it was very amazing and hard at the same time. And as I said, he um, he was a musician, and his friends were all uh, extremely creative. They all had like full time like creative professions. So um, so that was a huge huge thing for me. Um, but when I gradu yeah. graduated, um, yeah, we, you know, obviously we had been going through a rough patch and me moving to another country um, was, was kind of like a bold move. And so in the woods, no less. In the middle of nowhere. <laughs> yes, it was very, very remote. Are we talking like a tent, a cabin or a house in the woods? It was a cabin. It was a cabin. Um, um, he, he, his family owned uh, this beautiful property um, by by the by a cliff and it was just like magnificent but the the house itself was extremely old it was like his grandmother it was like his his like summer home um like his family summer home and so when his grandmother passed away he kind of like moved there and was like i'm gonna work on this house but it was extremely run down and um but the property was beautiful yeah so um so yeah, I lived there two years full time, making Todd Heido kind of work <laughs> and, <laughs> and making uh, paper pulp and stuff like that before I was like, you know, I think I actually want to be an artist. I think, uh, I think I need to get my MFA. And at the time I was like reading photography. I was trying to like educate myself as much as I could because, you know, I don't, I don't, ha I didn't have a lot of like knowledge in like history and Right. And, and as I said, I like, well, had never anthropology. worked. Anthropology. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so yeah. So basically, when I um, when I studied, you know, during my MFA, I tried to get a BFA at the same time. Basically, I was like trying to read as much as I can, trying to meet all the teachers and faculty, um, just just trying to get as much as I could because I felt a little bit behind as far as. Um, you know, being an artist and doing right and that side of the education. But now, looking back, do you feel like there was an advantage to that? Oh, absolutely! A I, certain freedom, right? Like uh, you were unencumbered by the sort of like I don't want to say myopic, but maybe you know, maybe there's some constraints to a traditional education in photography that maybe you were able to circumvent. I think so. I think so, and also, um, I think like the years where I kind of like 
traveled a lot and met all these people and saw all these different lifestyles and things you could do with photography were equally as valid as, you know, looking at other uh, photographers in a, in a class, let's say, or, you know, reading. Yeah, you, learned, you learned on the streets. I kind of learn. I mean, it's. I don't want to say, but I kind of learn. Yeah, I kind of learn in the streets a little bit. Um, it sounds so hard, like so rough. I, like I learned in a rough and tumble streets <laughs> how to photograph. Yeah, it was. It was. <laughs> Not near. It was a little bit. Uh, it's in. It's in spite of my knowledge. I think it just. You know, again, it kind of like happened to me, um, which is. To go back to your first question, it's a little bit like how I live my life in a way. It's like I make decisions and be like, okay, I'm going to go there. Okay, I'm going to study this. Okay, I'm going to yeah. move to New York. And then things happen there. You know, things happen because you move around, because you kind of like don't think about something too much. You just kind of like... Impulsive. You just, you just you, kinda... It sounds like, thanks to your mother, you were ingrained with a certain comfort of impulsive, sort of like, you know, untethered... Um, decisions of, of just being able to say, you know what, I'm going to go do that. And yes. then you go do it. And it works out. Yeah. Whereas there's a lot of people who are just like, no, you're supposed to do this, then this, then this. And that becomes, yeah. you know, constricting and kind of, you know, yeah. get, and people kind of, you know, struggle with that. It sounds like you were able to, you had a good dose of uh, just effort, you know, I'll just go do that next and, and yeah. try that. Yeah, I think there's, I think that's absolutely true. Um, I think the it and it worked out is maybe uh, that's a that can be debatable. Like I think a lot of people would be like, oh well, it worked out for me because at the end I, because of that relationship, for example, uh, I ended up being an artist and now I live in New York and now you're doing this podcast, right? But uh, right. in other people's eyes, you could say, well, your marriage didn't work. It didn't, you know, it failed. So I think and it was extremely you know, hard at the end um, when I was doing the Headlands residency, which was amazing. Uh, simultaneously, I was having like the worst diver divorce. Um, so I think, I think it depends where you look at it and the angle of, you know, what you right. are doing with your experience. I think at the end, um, I like to take life as an experience, as an experience and an experiment. And so there's always like good things happen and bad things happen. And I try to, I think I try to grow as a person when bad things happen. Um, but yeah, like I think being impulsive has definitely brought up a lot of experience, bad and good. <laughs> well, I mean, not for nothing, 50% of marriages end up that way anyway so it's not like there's plenty of people who just sit around day to day and never travel or never impulsive and the same outcome happens with relationships it's to me it sounds like you like when you look at the way that you've made your decisions what you've done you're just living like you're really living like you're you know you're doing a lot of different things you're i've always felt like you know when i grew up I grew up in a family with not a lot of money. We didn't have a lot of, we didn't travel much because we just yeah. didn't have the ability and the money and my parents were both worked their butts off all the time. We just couldn't travel. I learned so much through travel. I think it's one of the greatest yeah. learning experiences. You know what I mean? And and I think that's, I don't know, when I come back from a trip from somewhere new, I always feel like I've, I've lived a little more than I would have if I was just sitting at home in my room watching Netflix. Absolutely. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I didn't have a lot of money either. I, I, we never had a lot of money, which is, uh, which I think really taught me how to, uh, be, um, 
what's the word in English when you are uh, when you don't have a lot, but you can you know let's say you just have three ingredients for cooking, but then you're making a big meal. Resourceful. Uh, resourceful. And com- yeah. Comfortable with you know not a lot of you know accoutrement. You know, like you can just make do with you take a little and you make a lot out of it. Yeah, know? and lemon print. Like it's like if you really see you know, how I actually make it in the studio, I just don't use a lot of tools. It's like very, very minimal. So I think it's also following that, like not having a lot and making stuff with not a lot um, is still very much present in my life. I'm like, okay, well, I have light and I have time and then I have paper and let's just try to make something. You know, the limita- right. the limitations um, are just creating more connections, I find. Um, yeah. More is less, for sure. And I think my argument for abstraction or work that is open and not sort of detailed, the, the sort of sublime, the ethereal, the, the Turner-esque value of, of work is that it is open to experience. You can make a lot out of a little because you're not sweating every detail of everything. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. Like the more you're leaving space and air in the room... In a sense, it may come off as being easier to do that. It's not necessarily easier, but you are getting more from less. And it's more open for interpretation. Therefore, you're inviting more, more of, I don't know, whatever it is, whether it's conceptuality or experience, you're letting more of that into the room when you sort of zoom out in, in, in visual imagery. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Which again, it's, it's not for everyone, but for, if you can do it, and you do it well, it can be really, you know, poetic and, and kind of amazing. Yeah, I think so, too. I also, um, you know, it's funny, you're talking about the space around. Um, and I think for me as well, um, I get a lot of what I'm not making. Um, so I, I like I like thinking about my whole life as research in a way. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And so... Um, I just, I don't know, it's like uh, trying to force on something does, never works. And so what I'm trying to do is always kind of like work effortly, effortless and make things happen like the most natural way it can happen. And I feel right. I can only truly let go when I'm not attached to the outcomes, uh, meaning like I don't have a plan of what I'm making necessarily as, as we we're talking a little bit about um, the method at the beginning. And also yeah. if I feel I'm really tired and like things are just not working in the studio for some reason, I have to like let it be. And then I'll won't make work for a day, a week, a month. Like I've taken hiatus in the studio and, and then I come back and I'm like, okay, great. And something is like rewired in my brain. Or something or I've lived you know I've lived my life I've done things I've tasted stuff I've met people and then I go back to it and then it's like a fresh start right I think there's two kind of artists uh, there's the kind who sit in the white cube and they try to build this world of, of it's it's of the work it's, it can be complicated it's just I'm trying to build this world and then there's the others who try to make the world their world of experience greater and they're living like in the external world and they're trying to let that kind of like wash through into the work mm-hmm. as opposed to illustrating, you know, their interpretation of the world. It's almost like the work becomes part of the world. 
Yeah. And I would think that you probably fall more into that category, I guess. Oh, absolutely. For sure. I mean, I feel I'm, especially now I have this like live work. My bed is like not too far from my studio and my living space is just in the middle. And I'm just truly like in this, I feel like it's like I'm in my own world and it's kind of like a big space uh, considering it's in New York and I live alone. Um, and I just, uh, I just love it. There's just so much space for, for my spirit to wander. And then yeah. to, you know, I go to bed and sometimes I make really long exposure. So um, they go overnight. They actually even go uh, months and months now. I'm working on this series that it's like months of light, basically. Um, but so the, the work is, is activating. It's just like a little sunset. It's just like a little like light changing and time passes and I'm marking time and light is happening and the colors are printing. Um, and here I am just like sleeping next to it, you know? Right, right. <laughs> so it, feel, it feels just like it's just this little, yeah, it's just having like little moving uh, sunset um, that's just next to me like all the time right. and doing its thing. It's like cooking a stew and you put it on the pot and you just leave it there for a day. Oh, it's exactly <laughs> that, yeah. That's, it's, yeah. Or it's like, um, yeah, it's that, that time of, you know, I feel like I do a lot of animation. Sometimes when I render things out, you put effects on things. You can't really see it until it's rendered. Yeah. So, and sometimes it will take a day to render those things. You know, but it's it's like, you know, the the reveal or like when ceramicists put things in the kiln. You yeah. know, they it comes out. It might be in there for a, if it's a slow you know fire and it comes out and it's it, there's a little bit of magic to just you know the waiting and it's you know it's oh, yeah. changing and it's becoming something else I while know. you're while you wait. I love nice. it. Oh, and one thing I wanted to, that I'm curious about is your relationship to, well, two things. One, so you're polyglot, so you speak French first, then Spanish, then English. Do you know other languages? Is it something you, uh, you're interested in? Uh, I lived in Amsterdam for a few months, and so I learned a little bit of Dutch, but no, I cannot say I speak another language. Isn't it fascinating language? Uh, Dutch? That. No, just languages. Oh, in I general? Mean, oh, of yeah. course. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I know it's so strange that we can have so many ways of thinking the world by, you know, articulating an idea that takes a different shape. Right? Yeah. I know. And, but, but it's funny because if you think about our languages in the world, we have so many of them. Yeah. You know, but it's, it is a limited number. But if you think about art as a language of like interpreting the world, then there's like, you know, hundreds of thousands of languages in a way, mm, a visual language. That's true. And every one is totally different, you know? Yeah. It's pretty uh, interesting to think about it in that sense, you know, because art is a language, you know? Yeah, of course. Absolutely. The other parallel that I'm interested in, because you did travel and you did experience a lot of other cultures and you were in different places and, you know, is, and your past relationship is that there's a, there is a uh, relationship to music, I'm sure, right? Oh, Unless yeah. You, yeah. So what, what is, what, tell me about that side of your life. Oh, I listen to music all the time. I can never be in silence, basically, almost. I knew there was something good about you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love music so much. I am just, uh, I love all of it. Uh, I'm also an avid dancer. So if, uh, if I hadn't become an artist, I think I would have become a, a contemporary dancer. I used to take all these dance classes 
you know, when I started to be, I don't know, like 13, 14, uh, I love dancing. It's like, I would say, I like dancing better than making art. <laughs> it's, my, <laughs> it's my favorite thing to do. It's more um, primal, right? Yeah. It's like more immediate. It's the body. I just love being in my body. Um, which is why even in, in the studio, I, I dance a lot, you know, I'm working, but I'm, I'm just like with my headphones and I go from all styles of music. Um, I love a beat music because it makes me, uh, makes me want to move and kind of like unblock tensions. Yeah. But I also go from, for more like, you know, ethereal, minimal piano. I just change all the time. Uh, right now I'm listening to this, like, very cool atmospheric house music. <laughs> that I'm nice. That I'm Who really, is this? Hit uh, me with names. His name is Chris Luno. Um, he has a channel on YouTube, and then sometimes I just leave the channel goes, and then it makes me discover other artists. Right. Um, but um, growing up, you know, as I mentioned, my family was really into traveling and and um, and art and culture. So um, my mom, for example, she Growing up, I only listened to African music, so um, I still listen to a lot of African music, uh, Afro beats, and you know all this like psychedelic Nigerians from the eighties. Oh, nice! That's good stuff. Yeah, I love like William Oliver, all these guys. Um, very, very. I'm always like, yes, let's do this. <laughs> I always go back to Afrobeat, Fela Kuti, all these, you know, all these amazing uh, musicians. Uh, you know, funny you should mention, I was listening to Tony Allen this morning. Oh, look at that. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> yeah, it's really good stuff. Uh, so yeah, I'm always, I'm always listening to music, um, even when I'm not working, like on the train, going somewhere. I love walking. I love biking around. I love being active um, in my body, not going to a gym and exercising, but just kind of like wonder. Um, it's just again, it's creating that space for yeah. um, f- for yourself to imagine things. So I love, yeah, I love the walking. I love walking as a as an action and research of just like having nowhere to go, really, just you know, wandering around, listening to house music. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because I, I I do love house music, and I there's definitely it fits in a certain aspect of my life, I think, in cer- certain times. But I feel like um, I just don't... I, I, I'm doing more of what you were talking about before, like putting on a radio, sta- like a, a sort of yeah. Spotify radio or something. Yeah. I don't know specifics other than the stuff that I listened to back in like you know the 90s yeah. when I was younger. So, But yeah, there's a lot of... Uh, that sort of pulsating rhythmic stuff can be really great to work to in oh the studio. Oh my God. Also, uh, do you know Sandy B.? I don't. Oh my God, you're gonna love it. I'm gonna send you the, <laughs> the link. But uh, he's an artist that I discovered maybe a year ago. My friend mm-hmm. just shared it with me. Um, someone I met at the residency actually, and um, I've just been obsessed with him. He's based in New York. Um, I don't recall where he's from. I think he may he's from Mali, and mm-hmm. he makes these like electronic, kind of like electronic house Afrobeat music. Um, nice. And he sings, but he doesn't sing in English. So he has this like really fun, dancey, electronic Afrobeat stuff. And then his language, I don't know what it is, but it sounds really good, but we don't know what he says. <laughs> uh, and he's like, 
oh my god he's one of my top ones so i'll send it to you later i i love listening to music with other languages and singing because there's something nice about not knowing sometimes what's yeah. being said you know yeah i mean for it's me kinda... to be honest like i you know i speak english as, as you can uh, tell but um i don't really if i don't pay attention to lyrics in a song in english i'm not gonna end understand it it just feels like uh, gibberish it just sounds yeah. like gibberish yeah, it's it's not that that ability. Even if you do understand the language, to be able like when it's a second language or something, to be able to turn tune it out easier is really nice. Like when I'm in line somewhere and there's someone behind me talking really loud and I don't want to hear their conversation, but it's in English, I just have to hear it. Yeah, of course. Yeah, <laughs> like I can't. I'm just like I can't not hear you right now. Of course, you know what I mean. Yeah. But when like when I travel to Japan, I can understand a lot of Japanese or whatever. But if I if I just don't listen, you know what I mean? I can tune it out really easily, Yeah. which is like, yeah. it's almost like a gift in a way to be able to do that. I can do that for English for sure. And then just listen to the music. And then sometimes I'm like, wait, what? That's what he's saying? Oh my God, that doesn't sound that good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. I took um, French for seven years in school mm. and I never had an opportunity to use it. So it's, mm. it's pretty much gone except for when I listen to it, I can understand a lot. Like mm -hmm. I can... You know, it becomes familiar in my mind, but it was so long ago. But I have, like, I, I love languages. I wish I could. If I could do it all over again, I think I would become, like, like I would just study languages. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, languages and are really nice. Yeah, languages are really nice. Um, do yeah. you know the reggae album of uh, Gainsbourg? Serge Gainsbourg did yeah. a reggae album? Yeah. I don't. I like Couleur Café. I remember that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it sounds, it's a little bit similar to this. It has this like, well, this like reggae rhythm. Um, mm -hmm. But if you want to, it's one of my favorite album, actually. It's his reggae album and it's really good. So I I'll check it out. I went through a phase. I, I had a college phase where I was listening to a lot of Serge Gainsbourg and watching, you know, like Godard movies and Jacques yeah. Tati and you know uh -huh. Jacques Tati is still one of my favorite filmmakers of all time but I went through a sort of you know a French phase I think of new wave and avant-garde yes 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 same I think it's uh it's good to have that phase you know when you're like 17 18 yeah, yeah definitely <laughs> trying to make sense of all those Godard movies yeah you just feel you just feel really cool I remember feeling like so cool when I was 18. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I don't know how it would be what the look is for like someone in their late 40s listening to Serge Gainsbourg all the time. You know? <laughs> oh, I think it's still, I mean, now, you know, once you pass the shame, you just go back and like, yeah, it's really good. <laughs> right, right. Once you pass the campy part of it. Yeah. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. You get back to the core of it. Yeah. And sure. I, I loved a, there was when I was young, I was just talking to my son about this because he's really into rap music. Yeah. There was an MC, MC Solar was his name, and he was a yes, French rapper, and I loved I mean, his music. MC Solar is really famous. Uh, I know him, of course. He's really good. Yeah. You should check as well I Am. He's also another uh, French uh, rapper. It's just, I Am? He's just called I Am, yeah. Uh, like Je Suis? Yes, I am, but in, okay. Engl in, Engl yeah. in English. Right, right. Like, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, it could have been spelled like A-Y-E-A. True. Or <laughs> I Am. And then you, MC Solar is really good. And also yeah. another one is called Akhenaton. 
It's the singer of I Am. Um, it's like another music project he did. I used to listen to that guy. I used to listen to a lot of French music when I was 12, 13. So it's really good. I'm a big fan. Yeah. Yeah, I'm taking notes. Okay, I got these down. <laughs> Thanks for the music tips. <laughs> yeah. This is why I do these podcasts. Yeah. It's, it, we talk about art, but it's really for me to get little hints on good music. I mean, same. <laughs> if you have under, any other recommendations, I'm always all we, for it. We could do a shared playlist on Spotify. I don't know if you do Spotify. But yes, I do Spotify, yes. For some of these, we do like playlists, which is kind of fun. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. Okay, that sounds good. So do you have, what are you working on now? Do you have things coming up? Yeah, so, you know, I'm in my new space. Um, I took a minute to make work this summer, and I was really um, curious about what would come out of that uh, little break. And now I'm really excited, actually, uh, making some new... Uh, I saw Dune, you know? Uh, I don't know if you saw the new Dune. The new Dune? No, I, I do remember the spice of old, but not. I haven't <laughs> seen the new one yet. <laughs> so um, I love the visuals of sci-fi stuff. Uh, sure. I'm not, like... I just love anything that's related to astronomy. Um, and, you know, with lumen printing, as I mentioned, light sources are what create different uh, colors. But also in this process, I'm always using sunlight. And so yeah. the sun, depending of where you are in the world, will also, you know, because of the position and the, the seasons, it, it, it's not always obviously at the same position. And so the, it impacts the, the colors on the paper. Yeah. Um, so that fascinates me and th maybe that's why I like sci-fi. I don't know. I just love anything related to the universe. Uh, and so I just been back into making these very sci-fi, very minimal, uh, spheric works that, um, I feel like every once in a while I revisit circles, but then I add another layer of complexity to the minimal composition. So now I'm making this. I don't know, I'm having so many, so much fun right now uh, with my new setup and using my new lamps and having this new relationship to uh, the space. And um, so I'm quite excited. Um, I'm doing Untitled Miami with Johansson Project. So finishing nice. some work for that. Um, then I'm making some, I have to make some new sculptural uh, 3D works for a show as well at the San Francisco State University. Um, and then I think I'm also doing a three-person show with my gallery uh, in a couple months. Um, I'm meeting with her after this call, so we'll see. And then I got asked to be in a show as well at Photo Relevance, which is a photography gallery in Houston. So I'm going to start working on that as well. So, nice. yeah, a few exhibitions coming up and uh, mostly just really happy to be back and making and just super stoked on these new like planets, planet, uh, planet-like works that I've been doing. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right. Last question is, do you, uh, considering your past, I mean, do you see yourself staying in New York for a long time or is this a pit stop? I really like New York. It's almost like I've been traveling forever to try to find my place in the world. Um, and I love California. I love the relationship to nature, but it is extremely far away. I feel it's a little bit isolated um, and it's kind of far from, um, you know, from Quebec. And so I find New York to be, 
I mean, so inspiring, so stimulating. There's so many cool people here. Um, and so, and it's only six hours away from Montreal driving. So that just makes it yeah. like the perfect stop. Um, and art wise, I mean, it's so nice. You just can take the train and go to the Guggenheim and go see a crazy show in Chelsea. And, you know, um, I really like New York. So I see myself being here for a while, but you know, as you maybe know for now, I, we don't know when's the next. <laughs> If the next, right. if the next adventure will be, you know, calling me somewhere else, uh, I'm not sure. But I, I think ultimately I would want to live part time in New York, or at least remaining, you know, having a studio here. Um, but I do like being in nature, and my experience of living off the grid in California definitely like brought that feeling of. Yeah, the sublime, basically. I love, I love feeling the sublime. So yeah. um, I think ultimately I would want that, like, you know, either upstate or in another country or maybe even in Quebec. There's just so many beautiful, um, so much beautiful nature there. So, yeah, but New York as a yeah, city is a great city for sure. Well, g give it like 10 years and Quebec will probably have the, uh, the sort of um, the climate of South Carolina. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> the way we're going. Yeah, I know. But, but yeah, uh, it's 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 def. I mean, I've I haven't been to Quebec or Montreal. I've only been to Toronto and like areas around there. But um, Canada seems so great. You I mean, would just you would love Montreal. It is such a great city. Oh my god! I, I've heard amazing things about it. I just haven't I haven't gotten there yet. Well, now the borders are reopening on November or eight, so um, you know you, you can drive there. You're gonna be able to drive there again. They're going to let us in? Yeah, finally. Finally. So, listen, it was great to talk. Thanks so much for taking out the time. Yes, it was really great. I hope the, um, I hope, uh, you know, you will listen to my recommendations and you would like it. If you oh, have, of course. If you have any good music recommendations to please, uh, please let me know. For sure. <laughs>